This program is brought to you by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. Our lesson this evening is coming from Psalm uh, 15. Psalm 15. And I've titled this, The Person or the Man, because when we're talking about man, many times uh, we're talking about mankind, uh, that God approves in Psalm 15. And we probably have done lessons on, in fact, I know we have done lessons on this before, uh, but sometimes we refer to Psalm 15 as looking at it as the person who can abide uh, with God. But I kind of like the idea of looking at this, uh, no doubt that applies, but looking at this from the standpoint of the person that God approves of. And we think about what that means today. If you were to ask someone, what does it mean for God to approve of someone what are some things you might hear people say? Now, in this question, there's nothing that you can say that could be wrong. The thing is, you're just repeating some things that you have heard. But if you ask someone, what do you think it means to be approved of by God? Or how is a person approved of by God? What are some things you think you might hear people say? Kind. Uh, nice, right? Maybe we hear people say they're a good person, right? That's a big one. That's still your words there to you. Uh, but that's sometimes we hear people say that, right? Is there anything else? I mean, there's a whole lot of things we, we hear people say when think about being approved of by God. They have a good heart. There you go. Um, and, and there's a whole range of things that we hear. You know, even some athletes, because they're quiet and they stay out of the spotlight and they hear rumors of them going to a church service somewhere or something, you're being generous. People will call say, well, they're a good Christian person. And not to be rude to the person who says that, but I think, how do you even know that? How can you say that? Uh, you know, um, nothing wrong with a person being kind and generous and those types of things. But that doesn't mean they're approved of by God, right? I mean, there are people in the Bible who did a lot of good things, but that doesn't mean they're approved of by God. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, you remember what happens there in Christ condemns those who did things for show, right? They were doing uh, terrible deeds. And it wasn't that they were doing something wrong or doing they weren't being helpful, but the way they're going about it. And I said to say that people can do good things and still not be right in the sight of God because it's much more than doing good deeds. Um, I think about this sometimes. You look around us today and a lot of um, so-called churches are focused on benevolence, which is it's not wrong to be benevolent, to help people in need. We want to do that. But it seems like many times that's the focus on it. It's, it's more of a community-based, get to know people, kind of a social thing, helping those in need, which is not wrong. But there's not much beyond that. I don't say that just, just to say, I mean, I, I know people who have, have been in those places and, and been members of those places and hear them talk about it. And that's what it sounds like. doesn't mean there's not kind, generous people there, but that, that's not uh, what makes a person approved of in the sight of God. So as you go through Psalm 15, which is only five verses, there are many um, attributes and characteristics that a person possesses in order to be approved of by God. And when you read these verses, it it in all reality, and we're not perfect, we're going to make mistakes, and we repent of that when we do, but 
there's nothing we read in Psalm 15, 1 through 5, that we, that we can look at and say, I can't do that. Because we, let's just get into the text here and we'll see what I mean. And so first we look at the person who God approves. And that's why I titled these first uh, few verses here, verses 1 and 2, the person who God approves. Look at Psalm 15 and verse 1. He says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Many times that's the title of this. Uh, somebody does a Bible class on this. I've titled one like that before. Who can abide there? Who can be with God? But we're looking more at uh, focus at the characteristics, characteristics, characteristics of my thought that are listed here. So he says, Lord, so the question is asked, who may abide in your tabernacle? And abide, many will say abide is the idea of kind of like a short-term uh, situation, whereas dwell is long-term. And so it's not just being with God on a short-term basis. Here they use you know, tabernacle as mentioned in your holy heel. Uh, many times that's applied towards heaven. But as we're going to go through this, we're going to find that only the approved of God can ever dwell with God. When we say approved of God, we mean those who, who are following what the Bible teaches about how they should be living and, and all that that encompasses, right? Not a perfect person, but the idea of a blameless person. And so, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Now, if you think about that for a second, if he asks the question, does he believe that everyone gets to dwell with God? The question would imply everybody doesn't get to dwell with God. And now we know we hear people talk today, we hear people say things or imply things like, well, because they have a good heart or because they're kind, a loving God wouldn't send someone to hell. What's interesting is, in all reality, he's looking at the Bible, just because a person has been viewed as having a, having a good heart of being kind doesn't mean that they are abiding by God's law, right? Not every person who's outside the body of Christ is rude or has an evil heart. They could actually be still pretty moral people, but still not be obeying God's word. And so we look here in verse 1, it's definitely by the question we understand that not everybody gets to dwell with God because not everyone is approved of by God. Uh, if you look at, um, here in a minute we'll look at Revelation, but only those who are found faithful and blameless are approved of by God and therefore able to dwell with Him and able to have that uh, fellowship with God. If you look at, <clears throat> if you look at Revelation uh, 3, verses 4 and 5, he says, You have a few names in Sardis, you have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, this is a ref this is during the time period of, of Revelation where we're talking to churches at eight in Asia, right? This isn't figurative language yet. I mean, there's some figurative language mentioned here, but we're not talking about dragons and things like that yet. And so we find here in verse 4, he says, You have a few names even in Sardis, which he's talking about individuals who are living in Sardis. He says here, You have not defiled their garments, which means, and garments here is applied to a person's life. They haven't defiled their lives, their person, by, we are saying to mean they haven't been living in sinful ways and doing sinful, awful things. He says, And they, those who have not defiled their garments, he says, shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, if they are worthy, that implies there are those who are not approved of, those who are not worthy, 
Look at verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Revelation 3, 4, and 5. And so, who may, you know, this is very similar to what we see in Psalm 15. Who can be with God? What is that approved person? He says here in verse 4, those who have not defiled their garments. Those who are not living that sinful life. We're not talking about perfect people. We're talking about people who are who have obeyed the gospel when, when they make mistakes and repent of it. And therefore, what happens? They're, they have not defiled their garments. Because a worldly person, they don't care about repenting. They're, you know, they see nothing wrong with their actions. And so that's not they are examples of those who have defiled their garments. Uh, we jump ahead to Revelation 22, all the way here towards the end of the book. Revelation 22, 14 and 15 says, Blessed are those that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Now, again, what what are the characteristics of those who are approved? Those who blessed or happy here are those who do his commandments. And so they there are some characteristics again of a person who's approved of by God. They do his commandments. And how we know they are approved of by God, because look what he says next. That they, that is those who are doing his commandments, may have, have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, a reference into going to the heavenly home. But outside are dogs. That is not outside, literally outside of the heavenly city, but literally outside of the body of Christ, outside of the church, he says, are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral or fornicators uh, and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. So those who do his commandments are contrasted with verse 15, and they are referenced here in all these different characteristics of those who are not following the commandments of God. Dogs is not literal. In fact, some say it's applied to uh, the rebellious Jews, uh, uh, rebellious other groups uh, there. I believe it was the Jews. I could be wrong on that. But it was applied to a group of people who rebellious uh, to Christ. Uh, Sorcerers, those who claim to be sorcerers, right? Uh, and do be able to do various things. Uh, and sexually immoral, or as the King James says, they're fornicators and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. So you have two groups, one's approved by God, those who do his commandments, one who, who, who do not, in verse 15. And so we bring up those verses because they help us understand more about what Psalm 15, verse 1 is talking about. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, those who are approved. Again, going back to Revelation 3, uh, verse 4, those who are not defiled their garments. Revelation 22, verse 14, the, those who do his commandments. Uh, next, we find uh, actions of the approved person. And again, going back to Psalm, uh, um, Psalm 15, and looking here now at verse 2. Uh, approved actions, he who walks uprightly, and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And so we're going to see here in a moment that several things are listed as we're uh, here. The person who walks uprightly or walks with integrity, uh, that uh, sometimes that's referenced as being blameless. We look at uh, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 14, says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God 
without fault and midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom he shone his lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. And so how do we become blameless and harmless? One of those things is, is by doing things without complaining and disputing. But we are those who are living righteously, as we saw back here in verse 2. We are walking uprightly. Uh, uprightly being the idea we are walking upright and walking with God and walking in step uh, with his word. Next, we want to notice here as we continue looking at this idea of uprightly uh, and, 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 and blameless here. We go to Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Again, this helps us understand what it means to walk uprightly, to walk with integrity. We do so by teaching, uh, but rather we do so by denying ungodliness here in verse 12, denying worldly lusts. Am I living soberly? That is the idea that we are uh, paying attention to what's going on around us. We have a clear mind. Uh, and then he says righteously, which again, as we're going to talk about here in a moment, uh, the person who works righteousness and does those things which are right and good and godly in the present age, living in a way that is pleasing to God. Uh, next, we, we find here uh, in verse uh, 2, in works righteousness. If you look at 1 John 3, <clears throat> verses 10 through 13, it says here, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are, are manifest. Here does not practice righteousness, it's not of God, nor see he does not love his brother. For this is a message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now as Cain, he was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, <clears throat> the works of righteousness. What were the works of Cain that were righteous? Can we say that his works were righteous because he offered the sacrifice in the approved manner? I mean, um, Abel, I mean, it's the king, but Abel, his brother, his works were righteous because he offered a sacrifice in the correct manner. We know that because uh, his sacrifice was accepted by God, right? And we find here in verse uh, 12, he says, And why did he murder him? Because his works, plural, which means more than just his sacrifice, uh, uh, were evil and his brothers righteous. So his brother's works, Abel's uh, actions were, or his works were righteous. They were right, they were done correctly, and according to God's law, unlike Cain. And so when we do works of righteousness, we do our works in a way that are pleasing the sight of God. When we help a person in a benevolent manner, um, do we buy gasoline for them, or do we buy lottery tickets for them? We buy gasoline for them, right? Uh, when we help people who are in need, we meet the need. We do not, uh, you know, if someone is in need, uh, we don't hold a fundraiser, so to speak. We give, either con either congregation gives or individual gives, right? So there's no fundraising. The church wants to, uh, I don't know, build a building or whatever it is, uh, you know, some here meaning a house may decide to buy a building. How do they do that? Do they, do they do fundraising? No. They take up their funds and they purchase a building. 
Other churches may add funds to them. Like we helped the church in Mexico, Missouri there for a while. Did Mexico, Missouri raise funds and sins like some others around here do? No, they did not. They didn't hold car washes. They didn't hold bake sales and those types of things. They took care of that in the godly way, using the funds collected by the church and other congregations helping them again, also being done in a beautiful way. So our works are done righteously. That is, that we are, do we are doing them correctly in accordance to God's word. Uh, because even good intentions, we have to realize good intentions are not enough. If we do, the, if we do things in the wrong way, uh, and we go outside the word of God to do certain things, it's not going to be uh, doing anyone any good. Uh, next, we find here in verse 2, and speaks the truth in his heart. Uh, this is a person who is committed to truth. Look at Psalm 25 and verse 5. He says, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. When I think of that phrase there, on you I wait all the day, that's where I see a reminder of that commitment. It wasn't a one-time action. He says, lead me in your truth and teach me. Not a one-time action. Because he waits on that all the day. For you are the God of my salvation. He doesn't feel that way just for one day, but every day. On you I wait all the day. He, he allows God, uh, he allows his word to lead him. And when we say that today, some people sometimes will say, well, I feel like God is leading me. And they mean it in a kind of miraculous way. Uh, even though I've, I've asked people politely, Can you tell me what, what do you mean by that? And they really can't explain it. Well, I just feel like God laid it on my heart. And like I mentioned this before, if you talk to you a little bit, you'll find out that they have read, been reading their Bibles or heard a Bible lesson. And that has caused them to think and they act upon that. Now, the Bible has the ability, the Bible says, the word itself tells us the word of God is sharpening a two-edged sword, piercing the vision of bone and marrow and soul and spirit. It pricks the heart of man, Acts 2, verse 37 and 38. And so was it miraculous in that God was actually leading them, or was it they were finally listening to the Bible itself? Well, it boils down to them finally listening to the Bible itself, whether they read it or it was someone give a lesson, or they heard something made them think about a, a verse or, or whatever it was. That's what happens every time, because the miraculous does not work that way today. Uh, but people get upset when you talk about that, but yet they can't tell you how the Lord leads them in some miraculous way. Uh, Others will claim that as well, but that's a whole other topic. Psalm 43, verse 3 says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacles. Does that sound familiar? That sounds a lot like verse 1, right? He wants to allow God his truth, your light. That would be his influence. How is that for us today? Through his word. And your truth literally is his word, his sound teaching the truth not falsehoods but truth and that leads him he says there and brings him he says in verse three to his holy hill and to his tabernacle is to god's dwelling place and so he's implying very clearly that by following god and his word and the truth it will lead you ultimately to heaven psalm 43 verse 3 Look at Ephesians 4, 25. This will be the last verse concerning this one. But he says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, what is this talking about here? And we think about committed to truth. No deception. Put away lying, uh, for we are members of one another. 
Next, we want to look at uh, verses three and four here. As we, he focuses, he goes, he goes from characteristics of those who are approved of by God to those who are not approved of by God, and then he switches back, and this psalm ends. Look at verses three and four. Here, looking at verse three, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. So these are actions of those. Uh, um, not approved. Those who, who do backbite and those who do evil to their neighbor are those who are not approved of by God. And so I mislabeled that here, but these are actions that, you know, the person who's approved of by God does not do these things here in verse three. Uh, he does not backbite his tongue. That is, he doesn't, uh, I think it's sometimes like snapping, and sometimes we do that easily if we're agitated, uh, but he doesn't do, it's not like a, it's a continual action really is being described here. It's not a slip from time to time. It's a continual thing that this is how they are. He says with his tongue, nor does he do evil to his neighbor. Uh, he doesn't harm his neighbor, harm those who are close to him. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Uh, he doesn't uh, go up against his neighbor or bring something against his neighbor or his friend here in verse 3, especially without... Uh, you might say evidence. You know, sometimes people accuse another a, a person of something, and it's not even true. Which we know today, people can be accused of all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be true. I see every day on the news where something's been used for a long time, and then they come out and say, "Well, that was all phony." One guy's finally getting his court date because he lied. One got it last week because he lied. Um, but they their design is just to do damage. Well. This reproach, he says, they don't. A person doesn't do that against his friend nor against anyone. Uh, looking at Colossians three, uh, verse eight and following, he says, "But now you yourselves are to put off all these: anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in his in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him." And so. Put off these things because the person who's not approved, they do all these things. They do, uh, you know, every day embrace their anger and their wrath and malice. They do speak blasphemy and use filthy language. They do lie to people. But the new, the new man, verse 10, the Christian is not to do that. Looking at Psalm 10, uh, beginning in verse 3. And Psalm 10, beginning in verse 3, going through verse 7. It says, For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. You think about that for a second. That's a scary thing to think about. The wicked in his proud countenance and his proud attitude does not seek God. They don't even consider God. That's why he says next, God is in none of his thoughts. Uh, again, his is reference to anyone. <laughs> And that did, they don't think about God, they don't consider Him. He's not a part of any part of their day at all. And what happens? Can they go and have the blessings from God? No. You can't have blessings of God uh, when you don't ever think about Him. You're not actually following Him. You know, there's a lot of people today who claim to be a Christian and expect God's help, but yet they offer God nothing in return. What I mean by that is they don't, they're not faithful to Him. They're not loyal to him. And we find here in verse 4, they don't even think about him. He's in none of their thoughts. It's a scary place to be. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. 
He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression, or his tongue is trouble and iniquity. It's interesting that he's mentioned here in verse 5 as always prospering, because I think that's kind of how the wicked sometimes are viewed, especially when the righteous are struggling. It seems like the wicked are always doing good. Uh, he says, your judgments are far above as God out of his sight, which means he doesn't consider that God's number in judgment upon him. As for all his enemies, going back to the one who's prospering, he sneers at them. So God, his, God's judgment, he doesn't even think about it. He sneers at all of his enemies. And then in verse 6, uh, he says, In his heart I shall not be moved, I shall never be in adversity, I shall never be in hardship. Verse 7 to me kind of makes me think of why he seems to be always prospering, because he's not honest. He says here, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. He lies, he oppresses people. I think about people who are extremely hard, or companies are extremely hard on their employees, expect a whole lot out of them. Uh, they're not honest with them. Here in verse 7, under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. Well, again, all things that the approved person, the person approved by God has nothing to do with. None of these things should apply to the person approved by God. Because you read through here, Psalm 10, 3 through 7. Uh, you go back and looking at verse 4, the person approved by God, well, God is in all their thoughts, not none of them. He's a constant. Uh, his judgments are not far and above out of his sight, we see in verse 5. No, he considers God's judgments. He considers what God would do if he disobeyed, if he sinned against God and, and transgressed. He thinks about God. He considers his judgments. And in verse uh, 6 and 7, he doesn't have attitude that he's proud that nothing bad is ever going to happen to him. And so the person approved by God, you might say, <clears throat> is very maybe self-aware of who they are, acknowledging that anything could happen anytime. I mean, we look at the last year and a half, whatever your opinion may be, a lot of things have changed, right? Jobs, markets, you know, job markets, housing market, on and on it goes. A lot of things have changed. <clears throat> and that has affected a lot of people, as we find here in verse 6. This guy mentions he's like never being in adversity, uh, but doesn't mean he never was. He just says it'll never happen to him. But doesn't mean that he was correct. Go back again, look at verse 3. Uh, he who does not backbite his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. Obviously, this applies a lot to what we just read here. Nor does he take up a, uh, a reproach. I'm sorry, yeah. Nor does he take up a reproach uh, against, his, against his friend. Here in verses 3 and 4, if you look at Mark uh, 12, verses 30 and 31, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Notice verse 31. And the second, like, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other greater commandment. There's no other commandment greater than these. And we understand that if we follow God, all his laws really are summed up falling under the, under the umbrella of verse 30. If you love the Lord and follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to follow all his commandments. In verse 31, though, like we're looking at here in verse in verse 3 of Psalm 15, nor does he do evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach against his friend. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You treat others with kindness and respect. 
Uh, he does not make his neighbor's faults or misfortunes the object of ridicule or sarcasm. Uh, this person does not find pleasure in other people's misfortunes or hardships. Uh, you know, sometimes we get annoyed with people today, whether it be fellow employees or maybe even some of our hard-headed family members, but we should never wish ill upon them. And when bad things happen to them, or if they do, we shouldn't feel we shouldn't get any joy out of that, should we? <clears throat> we continue reading here. Uh, if you look at uh, <clears throat> verse 4, he says here, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. Uh, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. <clears throat> here in verse 4. Um, you think about this for a second. Whose eyes a vile person is despised. What do you think that means, that phrase? In whose eyes means this person looks on a vile person and he does not he looks at them and he despises them not because he hates that person but a vile person is what a wicked person an evil person right that person is doing evil but sinful things and so the idea here is not the idea that he hates that person but he despises them because what they're doing is sin he despises the, the, the vile part of that person, not the person himself. And I hear people say sometimes, you know, sometimes homosexuals argue, well, Christians hate homosexuals. That's not true. We hate their lifestyle, though. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah, God waited a whole long, waited a good long while before the city burned. But in the end, no one repented. Lot and his family, a few of his family members came out, and what happened? The city burned. God allowed time for repentance. That didn't happen. Does that mean God didn't love them? Well, no. The book of Romans talks about uh, that as well. As, as God, again, allowed them time to repent, they would not, so he gave them over to their wicked wickedness, to paraphrase that. Um, but again, whose eyes, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. Uh, they treat with contempt those who are reprobate, or that is, those who are morally morally worthless, what I mean by that is they look at sinners and they don't make excuses for them. And sometimes that's really easy to do when a person who's living in sin is very, very close to us. Sometimes we know those who they seem like they want to do what is right, but then all of a sudden little Sally gets pregnant and they say, well, we don't see a problem with that now. God's law change. Little Sally who's, you know, not married, not even, you know, or in high school, which happens a lot. Did God's law change? No. Just because it's a little salad doesn't mean she didn't do something wrong. But there are some people today who, when they see a vile person, especially when they are close to them, they don't, they don't despise it. They just make excuses for it. Well, the idea here being is that we look at sin and we hate sin. We hate what God hates. We don't have to hate the person. We can hate the sin they're doing because we know what's going to happen to that person. Looking here at 1 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> verses 9 through 11, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Which to me, this explains that one question explains why we despise the vile person, why we hate sin. Because why? Look at the question. Do you not know that the unrighteous, the sinner, will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's why we should hate sin, because sinners don't get to go to heaven. Do not be deceived, 
And then you list several things here, right? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor coaches, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, every single sin is not mentioned in verse 10 and verse 9. Does that mean that God doesn't, is, is accepting of other things that are not mentioned here? Well, certainly not. Paul tells us, <clears throat> as we find other occasions, he uses the phrase, and the like, which means everything else that's like this, uh, I'm not going to mention my name, it's, it's basically what that means. It, same thing fits here. A list doesn't mean it's all-inclusive. It means these are, this is sin and everything like it. It doesn't have to include everything. Because you look at verse, verse 9 and 10, if you're honest, that gets most of the world anyway, somewhere. Those who are not living a Christian life, it gets them in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Neither fornicators, a person who has relations outside the marriage bond, a person who could be also a person who is unfaithful to their spouse. There's a lot of things that, that are, we fall underneath that term of fornicator. Nor idolaters, a person who is worshiping something other than God, which can be anything. I've said this before, it doesn't have to be a little idol, it can be anything. Nor adulterers, again, that's a reference to those who are unfaithful. Nor homosexuals, we know that is. Nor sodomites, many times that's a reference to as, uh, as other things similar to homosexual, lesbianism and things such as that. Um, nor thieves, nor coaches, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Which is why we hate sin. Because those who are involved in such things, those who are unrighteous, in verse 9, they don't get to have heaven as their home. We look back here at verse 4. He says here, who swears to his own hurt, uh, excuse me, let's back up, whose eyes of all persons despise, but he honors those who fear the Lord, as he upholds and, and honors and is grateful for those who are righteous. So you have, again, that comparison the vile person, and the what? The uh, person who fears the Lord. So you hate the sin that, that people, other people are living in, but you, you honor, you respect, you love, you are grateful for those who are fearing the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. That either being in verse, that latter part is, we are people who are of our word. And we sometimes people will say things and they, they realize, like, you know what, that's really going to require a lot of me. Should we stick it out anyway? Oh well, yeah, that's what he's talking about. We honor our commitments. Um, <clears throat> I left out the last part there, verses, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> where it talks about there how we can become an approved person of God by obedience to the gospel. Um, let's look next at verse 5. And verse 5, I've broken it in half here. <clears throat> Psalm 15, verse 5 says, he who does not put out his money at usury, which is with interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does, he who does these things shall never be moved. <clears throat> now, we're looking at this first part. He who does not put out his money at usury, uh, or usury, if people say it that way, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. 
the person who dwells with God will never lend money to their brother and then charge them interest on the loan. Can you imagine loaning some money, someone some money for gas and come back and say, I'll give you 20, but I'm going to need 25. That would sting, wouldn't it? And that's the idea here. We don't, we don't behave that way. Look at Deuteronomy 23, verse 20. He says to a foreigner, we might say to an unbeliever, some people say heathen, I've heard people who own businesses who are Christians say, you know, I'll, you don't have to worry about that. I'll make money off the heathen. What I mean by that is they'll, they'll charge a person full price when it comes dealing with worldly people. He says, to afford you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all, that, in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. Now, if you think about a person who gives a Christian a break opposed to someone else, he's not charging the world more. You know, many times you walk, I've walked in businesses before by a person who's a member of the church who's owned the business, and they have their prices for certain things there. And the world gets charged that amount. They didn't charge a higher amount. They get charged that amount. But a Christian may get charged a smaller amount. Are we ripping off the world or are brethren taking care of brethren? Brethren taking care of brethren. And that's the idea here. It's not that you're abusing people, but the world you treat, you know, you follow the law, but in that type of sense, you give them, you charge them interest, you charge them a price that's listed. But the idea here is brethren is what? He says here you may... You do not charge your brother your charge interest to your brother. He, he says here that the Lord your God may bless you. It means it pleases the Lord. My basement and brethren look after brethren. Now it's not unlawful to give discounts to people. I've gotten discounts. I've not gotten discounts. Um, it doesn't affect me either way. I'm always glad when I get one. But I'm not going to whine when I don't. Uh, <clears throat> that's the idea we find here. Really, just taking care of our brethren and not charging our own brother's interest. Looking at Deuteronomy 27, 25, it says, Curse the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say amen. As you go back here, look at Psalm uh, 15, verse 5. Uh, he does not take a bribe against the innocent. And here's Deuteronomy 27, 25, that exact thing. Curse is the one who takes a bribe to slay or kill an innocent person. We would say someone being paid to go and murder someone, right? <clears throat> think about this. Maybe this isn't a bribe, so to speak, but this is what I think about a lot of times. Planned Parenthood is not free, is it? Someone pays for that. And they are paid. And we offer other services, and I'll tell you that, but we offer other services. But one of their services is abortion, killing innocent people. Well, we know that those who do such things, and no doubt, I mean, paying for it also will be wrong because you're slaying an innocent person, but Taking the life, taking innocent life, obviously is condemned. <clears throat> Looking next there, Psalm uh, 15, verse 5, uh, we have this promise uh, to, the, to the approved, what I call it. He, he who does these things, which is what's mentioned in verse the, the beginning part of verse 5 and previous, he says, he who does these things shall never be moved. Now, <clears throat> we have to understand the context. He'll never be removed away from God so long as he is doing what? Following him, right? You know, I've said this before that once saved, always saved is true if you put it in context. When you obey the gospel and you continue to obey it, you continue to obey it, 
you continue to obey it, then you will always be saved. But if you obey the gospel, and then you disobey the gospel and go up into apostasy, you are no longer saved. Once saved, always saves the idea that you obey the gospel, and then you can go off and do whatever you want. The Christian, the obedient, faithful Christian, who continues to obey the word of God, repents when they fall short, and continues to obey the word of God, so long as they continue to follow God and his word, yes, they will always be saved. But that will change if a person says by their actions, no more, and walk away from God, that person no longer will have salvation. And so salvation, once saved, always saved, is accurate if you use the correct context. Continual obedience results in continual salvation. Uh, looking here at Psalm 15, 5, he who does these things shall never be moved. So will never be moved away from God so long as we continue to follow his word. Look with me at 2 Peter uh, 1, uh, verses 10 and 11. It says here, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. What's he talking about? If you follow God and his word, keep following it, you'll never stumble. He's not talking about having not having hardship, not having difficulties, but if you remain faithfully God, You'll never stumble in the sense you'll never lose heaven so long as you remain faithful to God. So long as you remain faithful to God, you have to make sure that's clear. If someone can pull any of that out of context I just said, say, well, look what he taught. Remaining faithful is the only way we can, re we, we can retain salvation. Look again at verse 10. For if you do these things, you, you will never stumble. For, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So long as you remain faithful to God, heaven will always be there waiting for you. So long as we remain faithful to God. All right, as we close this evening, we have three points here as our conclusion. So I've had it here, what to do if you are not approved. Three points. If you are not approved of by God, what must a person do? If they are not a Christian, they must obey the gospel. If they are a Christian and they have fallen away, well, you know, when you come, when you obey the gospel, this is included, and when you, if you have fallen away, this is included. Repent. Repentance is always a requirement when making a a relationship with God, whether you're obeying the gospel or whether you are coming back to God having, having, after having obeyed and then departed, repentance is always there. So if we want to be approved by God, we have to repent, which if we haven't obeyed the gospel yet, it will include us repenting, being baptized, and remaining faithful to God. We know understanding, believing, hearing, believing, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized. So we repent, make that change, or maybe I should say this here, make the decision to change your life. I think for a lot of people today, and this applies in the church in a very big way, because we see it all the time. If we're honest, we see it all the time. People want heaven, but they don't want to make the change. They don't want to make the decision to change certain aspects of their lives. And I think if we're honest, we have to, when we come in contact with people like that, 
And there are several things I will say and ask, but one of the things I will ask them, and many times it's not very appreciative, but uh, appreciated, but it's the truth. How bad do we want to go to heaven? You know, it's not not just avoiding hell, but going to heaven, realizing who is in heaven, right? God, Christ, the faithful of all time, which that's a list that is incredible if you think about it. God and Christ, incredible, obviously. We think about all those other faithful people who, who are going to be there as well that we read about in the scriptures. Just in the scriptures, they're going to be there. Based upon what we read from the Bible, they're going to be there as well. But more importantly, God, Christ, will be there as well. And so the question has to be, we think about being approved of by God, not being approved of by God, what the approved do, what, the, what those who are not approved of do. It results in some questions, and one of them being, will we make the changes necessary in our life to be approved of by God? When Saul met Christ in the road to Damascus, he had a decision to make, didn't he? We understand, as we look at the scripture, he was not converted on the road to Damascus and I'm over time, but he was not converted on the road to Damascus, but didn't he make the decision to recognize that Christ was the Son of God? He recognized it, right? Because, you know, he, he speaks to him, Christ who speaks back to him, and then he is told what he must do. He must go to the city and wait for Ananias, and then he's told by Ananias what he must do, and he obeys the gospel there. But he had a decision to make, didn't he? He went to the city to wait for Ananias, but did he have to? Only if he wanted to obey. Only if he wanted to obey. In Acts 2 and verse 37, they ask the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them in verse 38, did they have to obey? No. Only they wanted to go to heaven. And I think that's the, the law of what we see today when we think about faithfulness and things such as that is how badly do we want to go to heaven? You know, we have these different pursuits and things in life, but we have to ask ourselves, how badly do we want it? And our biggest pursuit should be getting to heaven and right behind it, taking everyone we, taking everyone we can with us to heaven as well. Okay, I'm over time. So we're going to stop there this evening. <clears throat> any closing, any questions, comments, complaints? All right. We're going to be... We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.